Good morning uh, once again. Uh, just a, a quick promo, and that is uh, we have another session uh, opportunity for us to bring friends to um, a very low-key but exciting event on the 8th of October, Tom Elliott. Now, he's a Christian um, musician, a magician. Uh, if you go to YouTube, Four Chairs, Tom Elliott, you'll see a video clip of him doing some of his stuff. He's very, very funny. So we've got him to come to Cafe Nero on the 8th of October at 7.30. The idea is the tickets are £5 because it costs quite a lot to bring him. He's in demand. So the idea is you would get a ticket from the foyer this morning and maybe buy a ticket for a friend or a couple of friends and bring them along. It's a kind of event that you could bring non-Christians to. That's the idea. He will do his stuff. It'll be an entertaining evening. But in amongst all that, he will be sharing his faith. We've done a number of events in Cafe Nero over the, over the uh, last year or two. From time to time, we're calling it The Difference. We're trying to share about what the difference Jesus makes in our lives. So please, give some thought to that. Not too much thought, just come and do it. So this morning, we're at the last of four weeks when we've called it Waiting on the Lord, i.e. there's no particular prescribed subject to preach on, which is great from a preacher because you can then go to things that you feel God has called you to speak about. And this morning, I'm going to do that. I'm going to be speaking about reconciliation. But the first thing we will do, we will read the Bible. Because you don't just want to hear from me this morning, do you? You want to hear what the Bible says? Great. We, want, we do want to hear what the Bible says. Because that's the truth. That's where our faith... Faith comes by hearing and hearing... The Word of God. This is truth. This is where our standard comes from. And so we're going to read this short passage from the Word of God. You know, there are some parts of the Bible that are kind of, you can read over and you get some stuff out. There's some parts of the Bible that are so rich, like a thick Christmas cake full of fruit, that each little bite is full of nutrition and enjoyment. And this is one of those passages. So we read verse uh, 16 to 21. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God." What a wonderful piece of scripture that is. And so, if you want a title for this morning, well, that's it. Be reconciled to God. That's what God is imploring us. Paul is writing there. God is imploring us, be reconciled to God. And I, I guess this uh, <clears throat> thought, this theme this morning, came out of me being considering our country at this time and our world which is so divided 
perhaps like, well, it's certainly in our country that I've never experienced before. There's a lot of brokenness. There's a lot of polarization. And it hit me just this last week, uh, watching the TV, watching David Cameron coming out and talking, and I hadn't realized that he was really very close friends with Michael Gove at one point, and that their families were in and out of each other's homes. They actually went on holiday together. And because of what's happened, dare I mention the word, the B word, over the last three years, they've not spoken. And it seemed to me that what's happening in our country, it's fine for people to have their opinions, and it's not wrong, but it's, it's not good, is it, that, that families are, are being destroyed. I, I was listening to one BBC programme this week about a lady who said that her best friend from school days, and they'd been at university together, and now because of what's happened politically, they haven't spoken for over two years. And she actually said she's got some friends of theirs who've even got divorced, largely prompted by this political division. This is a cancer upon our nation. It's a cancer upon our society. And we have political leaders around the world wanting to build walls, not bridges. This is not what God wants. He wants people to be reconciled to himself, which will lead to people being reconciled to each other. That's not to say we should compromise our principles or what we believe, but it's how we handle those. We can disagree without falling out without being divisive. And I believe this morning that if God was back at the center of our community and of our country, that unity, that sense of oneness, that sense of reconciliation, forgiveness, and inclusivity, without necessarily all having the same view, would come about. The gospel message brings love and forgiveness. It brings healing and reconciliation. It doesn't say, I am right and you are wrong. It says we can have different opinions. But at the end of the day, the truth is that God loves us, that he came to reconcile us, that he made the move. And reconciliation is characterized by reaching out to others who are... That's what God has done, and we read that in the scripture. God has reached out to us, and he's come to us in our need. And God's plan is to reconcile mankind to himself. This morning, if you don't feel that God loves you, if you don't feel God is in your home, on your case, in your business, in your marriage, then this is a place where we can invite, we can sort that out, and we can invite God to come and to bring his presence, and his presence is one of reconciliation and healing. His presence is one of transformation and shalom, which is well-being. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul talks about the divisions, the divisiveness that was going on in the church at Corinth. And he used that to describe their infant-like behavior. He said, You're, you can only take milk and I'd like to bring you some solid food. And he described their behavior as infants. And that was characterized by their quarreling and their divisions. And it's never God's intentions that we should be like that in church. Or even, dare I say, that there should be denominations as such. Remember that Jesus prayed in John 17 that we would all be one. Now, Chloe has talked about the living rooms this morning. And that's a place that will be opening soon. A place of healing, a place of well-being. 
And yes, we might not be overtly preaching the gospel from it, but we will be sharing our faith. That's part of our constitution. I wouldn't have agreed to chair the organization had we not been allowed to share our faith. But we're there to bring reconciliation to people who are in need of poor well-being or mental health, to be the people who reach out and, and stand in the gap for people. But one of the, and I was going to say spin-offs, it's not a spin-off, it's an intention, in bringing the living rooms about is that it has united the churches in the town. Not that we were divided before, we have worked together for many years, but it's brought us much closer together because we have a common goal in seeing this happen. So I came back from a couple of weeks holiday last week and I walked in to see what was going on and I was astounded by the change that had taken place in a couple of weeks and there were a couple of people I didn't recognize. Oh, where are you from? Oh, we're from the Catholic Church. And they were painting away there and varnishing and doing what they did. Then I went upstairs and there was a couple of guys there and uh, they were from the Methodist Church. Yeah, <laughs> we can even be united with the Methodist Church. I think there is a church called the United Methodist Church, isn't there? Anyhow, uh, then I was in another part of the building and there were some of our people from, from our church there and there were a couple of people from All Saints. All pulling together. What does this show to our community? It shows that that we are a people of unity because we are working all for the same end and that this is a tremendous witness to our town. We've renamed Churches Together North Allerton just recently to One North Allerton in a demonstration of our oneness as churches that we may be divided, uh, we may have different styles of worship. If you go to All Saints, it'll be different to here as it'll be different in United Reformed Church. So that's fine, there's no problem with that. But we have one faith that's in common that's the same in all the churches. That's we love Christ, we want to follow him, and we want to make his name known. And that kind of unity can bring healing and reconciliation to our community. So the word reconciliation from the Oxford Encyclopedic English Dictionary, other dictionaries are available, is to make friendly after an estrangement, to harmonize, to make compatible. It's the thought of resolving differences and bringing together again. Doesn't that smack of the work of Jesus? Just that harmonizing and bringing together. Not diluting what we believe, not just not compromising, looking for the lowest common denominator. Not that kind of unity. That's no good to anybody. And so this morning, let's just look at a couple of principles that come from this passage. And the first one is I want to look at the need for reconciliation. We've already mentioned we live in a broken world. I think we'd all attest to that. But the word for reconciliation in Greek, so I'm going to teach you some Greek this morning, is the word katalasso. And there's another word for reconciliation in the Bible, and it's dialasso. Katalasso and dialasso. To understand this, we need to understand the meaning of these words. The meaning of the word katalasso is God moving to us we who were in the wrong, and God is moving in his grace toward us to bring us back. It's not that God's done wrong and he has to approach us. It's that we have done wrong. We have fallen short of God's standards. We have fallen short of his grace. And in his effort to reconcile us, God moves towards us. The innocent party moves to the guilty in order to redeem, buy back, reconcile the guilty party and that's the word that's used here in this passage that we've just read that God is stepping forward we are the ones that have stepped away from God we are in our sin God in his holiness 
and his, his, in his justice and his righteousness steps from heaven to earth to come on into our place to take us back. That's the process of reconciliation there. When we uh, see the word dialasso used, it's used in Matthew 5 and 24. And there Jesus says, if you want to bring your offering to the altar, just hold it a moment. What you need to do is you need to go and be reconciled to your brother. The word that's used for reconciliation there is the word dialasso. Because it infers that there are two parties, both of which have some wrong in them, and both of them have to move to be reconciled. But the word casalasso is the word that we use in this passage in 2 Corinthians. It demonstrates that, that God is not in the wrong. We are in the wrong. And it just highlights and magnifies this great move of reconciliation, the step that God has taken to come where we are and to bring us back to God. Isn't that marvellous? Catalasso, the reconciliation of God who is holy and righteous, stepping to where we are and bringing us back. And we can see that beautifully pictured in Luke 15 with the prodigal son. When the son goes away, uh, you, know, you remember the story, a young man, perhaps in his teens, says to his father, can I have my inheritance before you croak it, please? I'd like to have it now, and I'd like to go off and do what I want to do. And so he goes off and lives a wild life, and he spends all his money on riotous living. And when the money runs out, coincidentally, there's a famine in the land, and there's no work around, so he ends up by feeding the pigs. And the Bible says he would, he would have even eaten the pig food but nobody gave him anything. And it was that point in that famine, in that dire situation, that the Bible says he came to his senses. And he thought, just hold on a minute, what's gone wrong here? And he, he realises his sin and the offence to his father. He realises of his foolish living and the way he squandered what he'd been given. And he turns around and he works out in his mind, well, I'm going to go back, I've got to go, I have to get on my knees, I'll have to apologise, maybe I can become one of the slaves. And he sets about to go there. And then we have that wonderful picture, don't we, of the father, who we get the impression, although it explicitly doesn't say that, was out every day looking for his son. Certainly that would not be stretching the imagination from the way the story's written. His heart had not lost his love for the son, even though the son had disobeyed. And that's where we are this morning, folks. God loves the world, even though it's in sin and it's turned its back upon him. This morning, if you've turned your back upon God, God still loves you. And he wants to do what the father of the prodigal son did. He's, he's out there looking for you. He's waiting for you. And when you turn around, that's the word that's used for repentance in the Bible. When you turn around and you decide to come back to God, he's there. He's there. He's there waiting for you. And as soon as he sees you, he'll be out there running for you. And he comes back and he, he starts his speech, doesn't he? And look, I've, I've, I've got it all badly wrong. And before he knows what's happened, the father's all over him with his love and his mercy. That's reconciliation where the father's done nothing wrong. The son has to come back and he has to come to that point of repentance. He has to come to that point of realizing he's done wrong. But the father's not wanting to punish him. He's wanting to embrace him and take him back to himself. Listen to what Isaiah 59 says. This is from the message version. Look, listen. God's arm is not amputated. He can still save. God's ears are not stopped. He can still hear. There's nothing wrong with God. The wrong is in you. Your wrong-headed lives caused the split between you and God. Your sins got between you so that he doesn't hear. And that's it. 
That, it's, it's us that have got it wrong. And that's why there's a need for us to turn around and come back to God. And when we put God into uh, the right perspective and we are reconciled with God, that then has an overspill into our relationship with others. It helps us, because of what God has done for us, to reconcile others. It's that other parable that Jesus talked about in terms of forgiveness. You know, um, if, you, if, you can't, if you can't forgive others, then you've not understood forgiveness yourself. It's a bit like the Lord's Prayer, isn't it? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. There's something of the power of reconciliation and healing in ourselves from God that enables us to do that with other people that, that hitherto we would have found it impossible to do. Humanly, we would, we would not be able to reconcile but God, his reconciliation in us, gives us the ability and gives us the message of reconciliation, which is what this passage says, to others. So that can be in our family. I know of families who have been split apart and have not, been, not spoken for years. There's a need for reconciliation. I know of communities where certain factions don't speak to each other. There's a need for reconciliation. And we've said in our country, what a terrible state we're in. We need to, God's reconciliation between people of, of different views that they would not be speaking so badly about each other. They would respect their views, hold their views, but not treat others in that way. I have a little diagram here which is very simple and, and explains a little bit about that. I often use it in marriage preparation for people. So we've got God up there and there's me and there's you. You see, if we put God in the right place, geometry, whatever, would show you, that if we both move towards God, two parties, whether it's two communities, two people in a marriage, whatever it is, we inevitably move towards each other. We can't help that. So we end up by being like that. That's very simplistically how reconciliation works. Let's put God first, and we suddenly find that if we're both working, or we're all working in that same way, putting God first, then we've been reconciled to God. We find ourselves being reconciled to each other. This powerful message of reconciliation is something which works in all spheres of life and is necessary in all spheres of life. I'm going to read you a little story of a businessman or a senior manager going back to the 70s, how it applied to his business in America. Wayne Alderson was vice president of operations of Pitron Steel in Glassport near Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in the early 1970s. The company, so as a steel producer, had very hostile labour management relations and was facing a strike that could destroy the company. Management's approach to these negotiations was confrontational, as it often was in the 70s. But partway through the strike, Alderson, who was new in his job, began taking a new approach of reconciliation with the union. They are not our enemy, he said. They are the people who do our work. He was tough but fair and demonstrated his respect for the people in the union. He developed an approach he called a value of the person, which not only achieved a settlement of the strike but transformed the working environment of the company. Everyone wants to be treated with love, dignity and respect, he said. Each year, the state of Pennsylvania selects a man of the year for labour. Today, for over 40 years, it remains true that Alderson is the only person from management to have received this honour. Alderson claims 2 Corinthians 5.18 as his life verse. God has given me 
the Ministry of Reconciliation. Now, he continues work as a labor management consultant for companies around the US, and he's written a book called Stronger Than Steel, I rather like the name of that, it's a steel producer, Stronger Than Steel, based on his story. I hadn't realized it until I researched this, it's a quite well-used management tool now for industry. So what happened in the company as a result of this reconciliation? Well, Wayne Alderson is not a softy, he's a hard-nosed practical manager focused on the performance of the organization. The difference is how he goes about getting results. By truly valuing people, which he interprets as demonstrating bringing reconciliation through love, dignity, respect. A foundation is laid for high performance. Over the following 24 months, Pitron's turnaround was as dramatic as any in the annals of American industry. Sales up 400%. Financials went from a deficit of $6 million to a profit of $6 million. The workforce grew from 300 to 1,200. Productivity rose by 64%. Labor grievances went from 12 a week to one a year. Chronic absenteeism running at 20% dropped to less than 1%. Quality of product became the best in the history of the plant. A poor safety record went to an outstanding one. Workers became customer-oriented and ultimately its best salespeople. That's the power of reconciliation and transformation in a workplace. There's a Christian man who took the words of Paul there that God has given the message of reconciliation to take that that he can actually use it in his daily work. The need for reconciliation. What about us today? What can we do with what God has done in us, in our families and in our communities? My second point this morning is what is the process of reconciliation? The Bible says here that God was in Christ, King James Version, reconciling the world to himself. Jesus' mission was to come and bring reconciliation, and he does that today. If you fail outside of the scope of God's love today, take a step forward because he's ready and willing to reconcile you to himself. We celebrated that by taking bread and wine this morning. His blood shed, his body given. And as a result, the central part of reconciliation has got to be the cross, because God does not simply overlook our sin. He does not simply forgive it. He does forgive it, but the penalty that was due to be paid for our sin is not wiped out without it being paid. That's the point. In verse 19, God not counting men's sins against them. But Paul goes on to explain how. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So the process of reconciliation works by Jesus taking our sin upon himself. It's not possible for us to do it. However hard we try, we can't do it. There's only this way that will work because Jesus was sinless. He could take our sin and he could pay the price for us. Galatians 6.14 says this, As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified and the world's interest in me has also died. And again, Paul, again speaking, Galatians 3. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When Jesus was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. 
For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So how does this work? Well, I've called it the AA process. Now, that, of course, is the Automobile Association. So what do I mean by this? There are two things that have to happen for reconciliation to take place. And the first one is admission. Admission and repentance. We can't be reconciled to God. The prodigal son could never be reconciled to God unless he'd come to his senses and realised that he had done something wrong and gone the wrong way and turned around and come back. That's the only way. God loves the world, and, but the world can't be reconciled to God unless we come to that place where we say, actually, God, I'm sorry, I've got it wrong. Yes, I am a sin. Yes, I've fallen short of your glory. That's the first point. We have to come to a place of admission and repentance. And the second is that we have to have the other party has got to accept you know, there's plenty of situations we've, we've no doubt all experienced in life where we've seen people admit they've got it wrong and the other person says, oh, I've got nothing to do with you anymore. That's, that's no good. I'm sorry your boat sailed. Now, I can never forgive you. There has to be acceptance on one side. There has to be admission on the other side. And uh, we see that in the prodigal son. I was going to spend a little bit of time looking at another story from the Old Testament that also displays this really well. I'll simply mention it, and that's the story of Joseph and his brothers. How that reconciliation, that wonderful reconciliation took place. You see, jo Joseph was one of, of a dozen brothers of Jacob the father, and Joseph was his favourite, and he was given this coat, this wonderful special coat of many colours, and the brothers got jealous. This is a condensed version. And they decided to kill him, and then they decided not to kill him. They threw him in a well, and there were some travellers came past, and he was sold to them, and they took the coat, and they dipped it in an animal's blood, and took it back to Dad, and said, look, I'm sorry, he's gone. Got rid of him. And Joseph was sold into slavery in Egypt, and because God was with him and prospered him, he became a manager of a Potiphar's house, and then he, he got called into service by Pharaoh because he was able to interpret dreams. And suddenly, God was using Joseph in such a way that he was positioning Joseph for a future occasion to save his family, his people, Jacob, who would become Israel. And, and this plan would have been set by God, but it was worked out through the sin of the brothers, really, in that sense. And then it was probably, I worked it out to be at least 30 years later, probably even 35 years later, the famine that had been prophesied, if you like, by Joseph through interpreting the dreams of Pharaoh came about and there was a tremendous famine in all the land for seven years. And as that famine was biting, uh, Jacob and his family at home said, oh, we've got to get some food somewhere, we're going to die. And they came down to Egypt to buy some grain because Joseph had been wise enough, knowing that this was going to happen, to make great storehouses of grain. So Egypt was fine and people would come and no doubt the price would go up. <laughs> Supply and demand would come into place. But they came down. And when Joseph saw his brothers, he realised it was them, but they didn't realise. That was 35 years later. We changed an awful lot. We all change in 35 years, don't we? Look at some photographs of yourself 35 years ago. My word, it's an awesome thought. I keep looking in the mirror and seeing my dad. But there we are. But what happened was remarkable. And to cut a long story short, when eventually Joseph revealed himself to his brothers, Joseph was in a position of prime minister. He could have brought all manner of retribution against his brothers for doing it. Ah, get you now, you're going to be in jail, you're going to be working the treadmills. But no, he was in the right but he was prepared to accept, ultimately, the admission of guilt by the brothers. After Jacob died in the end of Genesis, this is what it says. 
And it's, uh, there's some wonderful v- uh, words here that speak of reconciliation. This is the brothers. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. What repentance that is. When their message came to Joseph, he wept. His brothers came and they threw themselves down before Joseph. We are your slaves, they said. Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. I am in the place of God. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done at the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. This is Joseph's acceptance of his brothers. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Wonderful. You see the acceptance of, very similar to the father of the prodigal son. I've never really looked at the parallels between those two passages until I studied this and it came to me. There are some wonderful parallels. Both young men had left their families in undesirable circumstances. Joseph was taken away. The the, the prodigal son went of his own volition. Both had brothers against them. You know, when the prodigal son came back, his older brother was against him. Both fathers thought their sons were dead. There was a famine in both cases. It's very interesting that there was a famine in the land that got the prodigal son to come to his senses. And there was a famine in the land of Egypt that brought the brothers down to seek food. And sometimes it's the famines in our lives. It's the times when we don't know where to turn. It's the times when we can't resource ourselves. That's what a famine is. When you can't get it yourself, you can't resource it, that we are turned to God. Maybe you've got a famine this morning in your life. Maybe there's some part of your life where you are destitute, where you cannot resource yourself. God is here today, and his Holy Spirit would draw you to himself. This is a place of healing and reconciliation. Don't go away. Come and receive prayer this morning from the prayer team. Come and see me afterwards. Come, if you've never given your life to the Lord, then this is a, this, do what the prodigal son did. Turn around and come back, and God is there. You have to admit, but God will accept. That's the process of reconciliation. And there's often famines. I know in my life when there's been dry and it's been nothing to, to eat, if you like, if you, if you know, I, I don't mean physically. You know, you can't fill yourself. You were really dissatisfied and dry. That's the time when we sometimes are caused to think about God. Brothers and the prodigals came to the one they had wronged in repentance I'm talking about the parallels again now. And admitted their sin and asked for forgiveness. Both offered to be slaves, the brothers and the prodigal son. Very interesting parallel, maybe for another day. But wonderfully, both were unconditionally reconciled to their families in emotional reunions. The process of reconciliation, which is open to us all. And finally, this morning as we finish, we in this passage are called to be heralds of reconciliation. God has committed to you because of what he's done in you, because you've been reconciled to God. He says, that's not sufficient. (laughs) You now have to model that. You have to tell others about it. But I think it's more about modeling that. We are Christ's ambassador. He's making his appeal to us. It's not just that he's making his appeal through us, but we are meant to be the appeal. We are meant to share out the good news, but we are also meant to be good news. Are you good news or bad news? Are you appealing or not appealing? That will reflect on this process of reconciliation. Who and what situations is God calling you to be a herald, a model, an ambassador, an appealer of reconciliation?
bury your pride, make the first move. That's what Jesus did. Why shouldn't you? This morning, we'll draw this to a close. What a wonderful subject it is, the subject of reconciliation, that God was in Christ reconciling you and me to himself, and he's given us some tools. He's given us this wonderful message of reconciliation. That's what the living rooms is all about. That's why we're doing. We want to bring people to a place of healing that ultimately they might find Christ. It's not just a mental health cafe, a well-being cafe. It's a place where we hope, through prayer, people will find a living saviour. Let's just bow our heads. If you have situations that are, at the moment, not reconciled, maybe there are work situations, maybe there are issues at, uh, at your place of work or in your family or in your community, your street, your friendship circles, this, this morning, is a place of healing and reconciliation. Come to the Saviour, the Saviour of the world who died that we might be reconciled to him. There's no situation that is too big to be resolved. Lord, we thank you this morning for your love upon our lives. We thank you that you came to us when we were far away and you've reconciled us to yourself. We thank you again this morning. We can't thank you enough for the blood of Christ that was shed upon the cross, that not only is our sin forgiven, but it's the price has been paid. And Lord, we thank you that for us this morning as we come, our conscience is clear, the slate is clean. Pray, Lord, this morning that this message, this wonderful message of reconciliation would fill our lives, fill our relationships, and that we as a church, as a body of believers here, would be the, the vehicle of reconciliation in our hurting world. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.